When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of those of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here on the half of the podcast. Dude, what a divisional weekend. Dude, it was amazing. We had some great games this past weekend. Uh, finished up with a pretty compelling one uh, between the Cowboys and the 49ers. Uh, I know we'll talk about that game a little bit, but each game had like its own little thing. Obviously, you know, the Chiefs barely scraping by the Jags, the, the Eagles just dominating the Giants, the, the Bengals going on the road in snowy Buffalo, getting the dub, and then obviously the whole San Fran advancing to the NFC Championship game. I know we'll have a lot to get to, but once again, right? Cowboys choke again. Like clockwork, man. It's like clockwork. Every year, bro. They, what's it, 27, 28 years in a row they haven't made it to an NFC Championship game? They're at least consistent in that regard. That's one thing they're they're consistent at. Being in Sure, let's, let, let's go with in, that. Being incompetent, <laughs> like, that's their MO. Like, I mean, they got that whole thing down to a science as far as I see it. But, um, obviously, we got a lot to get to. Uh, like Kev said, we have a lot of divisional round content to get through then we'll talk a little bit of the nba uh at the end uh shannon sharp got into an altercation with the memphis grizzlies uh, this past weekend and depending on how you look at it some people looked at it as comical some people got pissed off by it but uh that'll just be something to kind of round out the episode but kev you ready to dive into this agenda oh i'm ready to go man yes sir so uh we'll start from saturday the saturday games that took place and then work towards the Sunday ones as we go farther along in the episode. So the first one we'll go over is the Chiefs advancing to the AFC Championship game. Uh, they defeated the Jaguars, but kind of came at a cost. Patrick Mahomes suffered a high ankle sprain in that game. You could definitely tell it hindered him throughout the second half of that game, but they still advanced to the AFC Championship game. It's their fifth AFC Championship game in a row, so it is quite impressive for them. Uh, after that, we will kick it over to the Eagles just outright destroying the New York Giants on Saturday night. Kevin, what was a 31-point win in favor of Philly? Just an utter annihilation. Uh, something that Kevin and I did not expect. I know we had differing picks for that game, but we saw a much more competitive game that did not take place. Uh, the Eagles pretty much breezed their way into the NFC Championship game, so that'll be an interesting game to go over. After that, we'll kick it to the Sunday games. Uh, obviously, the first one we'll go over will be the Bengals just dominating the Bills in every single regard. Uh, it was probably one of the biggest, just well-rounded wins I think we've seen the entire year from just every unit 
that the Bengals had. Uh, the Bills looked like, looked like they were just completely out of sorts the entire game, and they had no answer for the Bengals. So the Bengals advance to another AFC Championship game where they will rematch against the Chiefs, similar to what they had last year, with a Super Bowl trip on the line. And then after that, we'll do a slight discussion about whether or not that Joe Burrow has overtaken Josh Allen as far as just who's the better quarterback. I think it's safe to say that uh, Joe's definitely made a case and back-to-back games, championship appearances, potentially another Super Bowl appearance on the way. That'll be an interesting conversation. And then after that, we'll kick it to San Francisco, advancing to the NFC Championship game, winning a competitive game against the Dallas Cowboys. It was more of a defensive battle, something that Kevin and I did not expect. I thought both defenses, despite Dallas losing, actually relatively played up to snuff. So, you know, despite Dallas losing and choking once again, I wouldn't say that Dallas lost because of their defense. Dallas's defense actually showed up and played pretty well, containing San Francisco to only 19 points. And then after that, uh, we'll talk about whether or not the Dallas as a whole should blow it up. Should Mike McCarthy uh, have his head coaching job questioned? Um, I know there's going to be some questions about the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator positions for Dallas because I know Kellen Moore and Dan Quinn are potentially looking at head coaching jobs elsewhere this offseason. So there could be some major turnover for Dallas this upcoming offseason. And then after that, we'll just go over the uh, Shannon Sharp Grizzlies altercation to round out the episode. But that will pretty much uh, set the agenda for what we have for you guys. So, Kev, uh, let's go over this Chiefs and Jags game that took place on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's just be blunt and let's just Let's just give them kudos, right? Jacksonville overachieved this year. Jacksonville did things that I don't think anybody saw do, them doing. Doug Peterson threw himself in there for a potential coach of the year candidate. Obviously, we know he probably won't get it, but how he was able to flip that team around from the beginning to the end and making a postseason game and then, of course, winning one and then t- taking the Chiefs all the way to the end. So, you know, Kansas City, on the other hand, makes its fifth straight AFC championship appearance. That is something that needs to be... You know, given credit to Andy Reid is the first NFL head coach, I believe, in history to have 10 wins for multiple teams as a coach in the NFL, which is nuts. Was like 10 postseason postseason wins. Yep. That's just crazy because he's just he's that good of a coach. And I mean, Patrick Mahomes, Donovan McNabb, he's had some pretty good quarterbacks in his tenure in his tenure uh, with both organizations. So, like I said, I just wanted to give those those little bit of kudos. But the game now, Jacksonville had a chance. There were some miscues. There were some opportunities. There were some points potentially left on the board. And with Patrick's injury looming, Kyle, I'm going to kick this one to you. How worried are you with Jacksonville barely escaping, excuse me, with Kansas City barely escaping and Patrick's injury that you believe this is going to transpire into the next game? Oh, for me, I'm definitely concerned about the Chiefs going into the AFC Championship game where they'll go up against the Bengals. I'm going to be honest with you. There was a very good chance that Jacksonville could have won this game. There were opportunities that Jacksonville squandered, especially in that fourth quarter, that could have flipped the entire complexion of the game. And as far as I see it, you know, with Patrick Mahomes going down with that ankle injury, that high ankle sprain, I think they have a pretty uphill battle going up against the Bengals. Uh, not this weekend, but you know, obviously the upcoming weekend uh, for the AFC Championship game. I, I thought the Chiefs kind of, Looked out of sorts, especially after Patrick's injury. And I mean, to be fair, that kind of expected just because when your starting quarterback goes down and you have a backup fill in, you know, there's a chance that 
the offense really isn't going to be as consistent or they're going to be at a rhythm to a certain extent. And I will give credit. Chad Henney stepped in and was able to lead a touchdown drive for Casey in Patrick's absence when he was uh, getting treatment for his ankle on the sideline. But when Patrick came back into the fold, uh, you could tell he was definitely hindered. And the one thing that Patrick is always known for is being able to extend plays with his legs or his feet and really just providing the magic that he brings game in and game out. And, I mean, to a certain extent, Casey's offense has really feasted off of defenses that way because Patrick is just somebody that can just find ways to improvise in the moment and really make some magical plays for that Casey offense. And when he's limited to just a pocket passer, he does kind of struggle. And it was kind of indicative of that second half performance against Jacksonville's defense. I, I thought the Jags defense uh, made some solid stops against that KC offense in that second half. Granted, Casey was still able to lead a touchdown drive with Patrick at the helm. I believe that that one touchdown drive was capped off uh, by a touchdown pass to Marcus Valdez-Scanling uh, that extended Casey's lead 27-17. to 17. But you could tell that just the offense just wasn't in rhythm based off of Patrick's injury. Now, Another thing that we have to kind of keep in mind here is whether or not that Patrick is even going to play in that Bengals game when we reach the AFC Championship game. We're talking a high ankle sprain. I mean, depending on the severity, high ankle sprains could take six to eight weeks to recover. And I understand that Patrick came back in the game despite having that high ankle sprain. But if I had to guess, when he woke up Sunday morning, uh, the day after that game, I guarantee you he was definitely feeling it. It wouldn't surprise me if he was on crutches. Um, I didn't hear anything about a walking boot, so that's a little bit of maybe a sigh of relief for Casey going into next week. But I'm still of the mindset that it's going to be shaky for Casey, even if he's in, because I think at best he might be 75% if he's good to go in that game. And I'm saying that Casey may have to have a contingency plan set in place where Chad Henney is going to be the starter. And that's definitely going to be an uphill battle for KC because if anybody had watched the Bengals game where they just essentially dismantled the Bills, that's going to be a tough challenge for a backup quarterback going up against that defense. So Casey's in a little bit of a difficult spot here. I mean, on a panic meter from, you know, one being not panicked at all to 10, you know, just outright panic. I'm definitely around a seven or an eight with this one. So I think Casey's got a pretty significant situation with Patrick's status going into this week and we'll monitor it throughout the week. But as of right now, you know, fortunate for them, they did advance to the AFC championship game, their fifth in a row. That's definitely something to be commended, but they're definitely going to be hindered going into this AFC championship game for sure. If, and if Patrick's not going to be able to go in this game because of that high ankle sprain, Chiefs are going to be in some trouble, and they may even be in trouble if he's on the field in that limited capacity. So all in all, you know, good for them advancing to the AFC Championship game, but they definitely have a tough road ahead when they go up against Joe Burrow and the Bengals next week. So, Ken, the floor is yours on this one. Dude, let's be honest. That injury happened. Everybody in Kansas City freaked out. All fans across the NFL were like, there's no way this is happening. Because remember, I forget what year it was. Pat left one of the games, I think it was against Cleveland a few years back, 
where he had to exit the game and Chad Henney had to finish it out. And people were skeptical about him being available for that next game, which I believe was the AFC championship of that season. Now it's like history is finding its way to repeat itself, right? Jacksonville finds a way to get competitive. Obviously, they end up, you know, unfortunately, Patrick Mahomes gets injured. And uh, Jacksonville smells blood in the water. They're not able to capitalize. Uh, James Agnew fumbles. And, you know, from that point on, it kind of was just on and on and on of, in terms of mistakes and miscues. You can see the inexperience here. Trevor Lawrence throws an interception on the next possession. So it's it's kind of just like Jacksonville kind of stepped on themselves every opportunity they really had. So, again, that's like I said at the beginning, I give them credit. They 130% overachieved this season as a team. And the fact that they were able to take Kansas City to this point is a win in and of itself. I know we don't do moral victories here, nor should you ever in a lot of situations, but for a team that got to a place they shouldn't have been, this is something they can build off of. This is something that you can look forward to next season and say, we were this close to beating probably the best team in football. Who's to say we can't beat them next year or be in the same position, if not farther, the season after? So in terms of the the Chiefs, as Kyle already alluded to, Chad Henney did what he needed to do as a backup. He didn't turn the ball over. He got the ball downfield, and he found a way to score. Point blank period. That's what you need to do. That's what the NFL is about. Next man up. Now, when it comes to preparing for Patrick Mahomes versus Chad Henney, everybody knows that's light years of a difference. Kansas City is going to have to change that playbook if he doesn't play. They're not going to be able to have the the fluidity of the offense like Patrick Mahomes is able to command. I know that Andy Reid can coach anybody, but you know that obviously having Patrick Mahomes under center makes you 100 times better than Chad Henney, and that's no disrespect. It's just fact. In terms of the ankle, dude, if I'm Pat, knowing how bad it's going to be, knowing how bad a high ankle sprain can be, I, 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 I know it's the AFC Championship. Dude, if you mess that up worse, if you get rolled up on if you roll it just trying to sprint to the sideline you're already hindering your team by being on the field and you're at a 60 capacity of availability 50 percent, whatever he's going to be whether you shoot him up with quarter zone painkillers whatever it is you have like it's like i said about two a couple weeks ago i know concussions and ankle sprains are different but it, it's the player health is the most important thing for me kyle already said depending on the severity of the high ankle sprain, it could be anywhere from six to eight weeks, if not longer. Irv Smith, the tight end for the Vikings, had a high ankle sprain. He was out eight to 12 weeks. You're talking about a game that's supposed to take place on Sunday? So he's only going to get eight days of rest? Because obviously they played Saturday. They don't play again until Sunday night, Sunday evening of next week. Dude, I know that's going to be endless around-the-clock treatment, ice baths, treatment, massages, uh, Electra stem, everything you can possibly think of, but will he be ready? I don't think so. Uh, and if he is, personally, I'm not giving any predictions. I just think that favors Cincinnati no matter what, whether he plays or he doesn't. A limited, hindered, non-mobile Patrick Mahomes, like Kyle said, a Patrick Mahomes stuck in the pocket, not the same quarterback at all. I would say that Cincinnati needs to pay attention here, and they, they have to say, you don't want to play a team Weekend, you want to you want to be able to look back at the resume and say we beat the best of the best. But in terms of preparing, you got to prepare as if he's going to be there. Because if he's not, I mean, at least you're prepared for Patrick Mahomes. You get Chad Henney, you should be fine. Uh, but yeah, no, Kansas City definitely squeaked by this one, and I think that they should definitely be paying attention because that defense was exposed in a couple of different facets on specific drives with Trevor Lawrence at the helm. When you're going up against Joseph Burrow. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a tall task, and uh, if Kansas City falls yet again, Joe Burrow's slowly creeping up and climbing the totem pole. He's already passed Josh Allen, in my opinion, but we'll get into that in a couple minutes. But 
Yeah, no, Kansas City is definitely in immediate panic mode right now. Well, here's the thing. When it comes to Pat, whether or not that he's going to play, Kev, I guarantee you this. He's going to go out there and play. Mm-hmm. I know that he's going to be hindered. I know he's going to be hurting. But with a Super Bowl trip on the line, I I think it's safe that's, to say But that's that. assuming the doctors allow it, bro. If his ankles, like, if the swelling doesn't go down, you can't play on that. They're not going to let him play on that. Super Bowl trip on the line. I, so I what happens? It. He gets two weeks off. What if he has, What if he hurts it again and they win? You rush him back I, to the Super Bowl? And what? I'm just saying. With a trip on the Super Bowl on the line, I'm I'm they well are going, aware. I'm telling I'm telling you right now, like the trainers are going to have to pull Patrick from not playing. Like they're going to have to pull him back because I guarantee you this. I because I was I was reading a tweet from Schefter while you were talking, and you know the MR, the MRI results came back as a high ankle sprain. Right, and, and and in the tweet, Patrick said that he's expecting to play. So obviously, if it gets to a point where the the swelling's too much and he can't go, he can't go. But I guarantee you, if he feels like he's got a shot to play, he will play. Yeah, I know. And just, if, yeah. if, 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 if I'm if just it, advocating for player safety and I always will, man. One game it, does not define your career. If you're going to make it worse and if you're not going to be available for the next season or you have to go into surgery because of this or you hurt worse, that's going to affect you later down the road. And if you lose mobility later in your career because of the surgery or you end up tweaking that ankle or it becomes a weak point for your career, that's not a good look. That's all I'm saying. So if I, he plays, I, he plays. If not, I, it is what it is. I, I get it. But knowing Pat, he is not going to pass up an opportunity uh, to play with a potential Super Bowl trip on the line. It's just yeah. it's the competitive nature of the game. And trust me, the guys in the locker room, I mean, they would understand if he couldn't go, but if he were to go out there knowing that he's injured, that could raise, I'm telling you, that could raise the stakes of the team. Like that could really rally and galvanize the team as a whole. So I can't underscore, I can't underestimate that fact either, but yeah, he, he's definitely going to be dinged up. There's no way about it if he plays in that AFC championship game, but I'd be shocked if he didn't play. I understand that there's a chance that he's, that he may not play, but I'd be shocked if he didn't. But we'll just kind of see what happens. But, um, you know, b- before we transition into the Eagles and Giants game, Kev, just just really quick, what would you say about the Jags season making it to the divisional round? I think it's great. I mean, good for them. We all knew that when Trevor Lawrence came out of college that he was going to provide this team with a spark that they have not seen in, in decades. I mean, he's probably one of the best prospects to ever come out of high school, one of the best prospects to ever come out of college. He just needed the right coach. He got Doug Peterson. They got some weapons. I think that they did a great job. I think that they're going to be good. And as a Colts fan, I think I think they're going to piss me off a lot more than they already do. So the better they get, the better it is for the league. You love to see younger quarterbacks kind of take that next step. And I think Trevor got a taste of the postseason, and they'll be back for sure. Yeah, I think, you know, going from last year with what they had with Urban Meyer being one of the worst coaches in NFL history to Doug Peterson in not only winning the division, but winning a wild card game, coming back in the manner that they did against the Chargers, and then being competitive against a Chiefs team. Listen, obviously you're trying to compete for a Super Bowl, but you you got to take steps to get there. It, just, it doesn't it's happen a tall in task one to year. begin with. The fact that they made it this far and they were competitive against a team like the Chiefs on the road, I got to give those guys credit. Obviously, they made some mistakes that definitely cost them at the end of the game, but 
you know, the Jags are definitely trending in the right direction. And I think as a division rival, uh, that's going to be tough to acknowledge moving forward because the Jags have something to build on for sure. But uh, with that said, uh, we will transition to the Saturday night game that took place between the Giants and the Eagles. And Kev, I don't really have to put much of a lead up with this one. The Eagles smacked no. the Giants. I mean, 38 to 7. The Eagles won in every single phase of the game. The game was essentially over by halftime. Just the Giants looked absolutely lost out there from beginning to end. Offensively, defensively, they were just dismantled by the Eagles. And the Eagles easily advanced to the NFC Championship game where they will go up against the 49ers. So, Kev, to kick this one to you, how impressive were the Eagles just slapping up the Giants in the NFC Divisional Round as they head into the NFC Championship game next week? Well, first, I got to start this off with, to my boy Sitch, Brian, um, I'm eating my words. I picked the Giants. I picked them for my gut reasons, not to spite Philadelphia. You see the green behind me. It's all love, so shout out to the boys. Um, shout out to my girl, her family, and all that stuff, because obviously they're just, you know, Philly everything. And, uh, you know, to kind of go into the point, I didn't expect this. I genuinely did not see Daniel Jones coming out here and, and choking. I didn't see the Giants defense giving up 38 points. I did not see Brian Dable just being outcoached by a mile. We all know that Nick Sirianni is in contention for coach of the year, but you do not expect him to run circles around Dable after what the Giants did to Minnesota. Yes, Minnesota has one of the worst defenses, if not the worst defense in the playoffs at the time. But you would think that the the motivation, the hype, Something, you know, like the build up to this game, especially, you know, this is the third time we've played them. This is a divisional opponent. We got to play them good. Divisional games in the playoffs are normally very, very, very tight and competitive. And this was the farthest thing from that. Daniel Jones looked like Daniel Jones from a few years ago, from last season. I mean, his QBR was 11. 11. <laughs> that is horrible. I mean, he had a horrible interception. To James Bradbury. Just did not see James Bradbury right there. And I mean, on, on a multitude of passes, couldn't get into a rhythm. Philadelphia's pass rush was in the backfield all day. He was sacked five times. He couldn't get into a rhythm on the ground either. He only had 24 yards. I mean, as a whole, the Giants had 118 yards on the ground. But I mean, when you're down 28 to 0 at halftime, it's really hard to stay and stick with the run game because you're down four scores. Albeit, I will give the Giants credit, outside of the garbage time touchdown to Gainwell with a minute and 51 seconds, the Giants defense found a way to turn it around and hold Philly to three points. Again, before the Gainwell touchdown, the Giants offense was just incapable of getting anything going and creating consistent drives. I mean, it just, they looked completely inept. They looked like a completely different team. They looked lost. And so, and to, to kind of be blunt, and I mean, quite frankly, it, it almost looked like they didn't belong to be there. Like, it, it didn't look like they belonged to be there in this game. And, uh, I mean, flipping it over to Philly, I mean, you, you, you did everything you needed to do. You dominated the line of scrimmage. You ran the ball for 268 yards on the ground. That is over six yards per carry. Kenneth Gainwell had 112. Miles Sanders had 90. Jalen Hurts even had 30 himself. Boston Scott, the giant killer, had 32. Another touchdown. By the way, fun fact, for those of you that are unaware who Boston Scott is, he's got about 19 career touchdowns. 11 of those are against the New York Giants. So if anybody is going to eat when you play the Giants in Philadelphia, it's going to be B. Scott. So, I mean, outside of that, they did everything they needed to do. They capitalized on all three phases. They blow out New York at home. They make a stand to say, you know what? They may have had a good game last week, but it ain't happening in Philly. The NFC runs through Philadelphia, and they proved their point 100%.
Yeah, this was just an utter domination. And as far as what the Eagles are, as far as their status is going into the NFC Championship game, dude, they're on cloud nine. I mean, this was supposed to be a competitive game. We we talked about this last week, and even though that I picked the Eagles to win the game, I didn't see this coming. Thirty-eight to seven, it was twenty-eight nothing at halftime. That was just a complete embarrassment that the Eagles just bestowed on the Giants because. Kev, I'm going to be honest with you. The Giants just looked lost out there from a whole game plan perspective and execution. This was so heavily one-sided in favor of the Eagles. The Eagles are really making a strong case that they have a very good chance uh, to make a run uh, to go to uh, Super Bowl 57 in the next couple of weeks from now. So, I mean, as far as the game is concerned, I, I don't really have much to say other than what Kev said. This was just an utter domination from every component of the offense. So we'll, I mean, we'll start there first. I mean, I mean, when you run for over 250 yards on the ground and you just establish dominance on that side of the ball, there's no way that that defense is going to be able to hold up, even though that the Giants have a good defense. They just got obliterated. And then, you know, when it comes to Jalen in the passing game, they didn't really need to use him that effectively. This wasn't a game where... Jalen was going to go out there and throw the ball 40, 45 times. They never needed him in that regard. He had a relatively pedestrian day when it comes to just stats in general. But his overall effectiveness on a scale from 1 to 10, you'd have to put it up at a 10 because whatever the Giants tried to do, it didn't work out, especially in that first half. I mean, essentially the game was over in the first half just with the utter dominance that not only that the Eagles' skill players did, like their quarterback, their running backs, and their wide receivers. But their line of scrimmage, like winning the battle in the line line of scrimmage was just impeccable. And even though that the Eagles didn't necessarily have the greatest second half, defensively, this is where they stepped up. Defensively, they damn near pitched a shutout. I mean, holding them to zero points in the first half, it's pretty phenomenal. Because when we saw the Giants play uh, last week against the Vikings, the Giants looked pretty solid in every single facet of the offensive game. Daniel Jones looked great. Saquon Barkley looked great. And yet you go into this week, you go up against a defense like the Eagles, and the Eagles have one of the best defenses in the NFL. That Giants offense got exposed. They looked completely out of sorts. They looked like they were completely outcoached. The the effort wasn't there. The execution wasn't there. It's just that Eagles defense just stymied them in every sense of the word. And... This is one thing that we're going to have to pay attention to moving forward now that the Eagles are advancing into the NFC Championship game. We're going to have to see how this Eagles defense can go up against an offense like the 49ers because the 49ers have a very dynamic offense. they got Brock Purdy, who's a rookie quarterback, but doesn't really look like one. The amount of poise that that kid has at such a young age is something to behold. And then with the skill players that the 49ers have at their disposal, like Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Jawan Jennings, I mean... That team offensively is stat, and then defensively, Jalen Hurts is going to have his hands full with that 49ers defense. So, you know, it's it's good for Eagles fans knowing that they're in a situation where they can advance to another potential Super Bowl. I believe this would be their first Super Bowl potentially uh, since 2018 for Super Bowl 52. So it's been five years. So they've gone through some adjustments since then, but... Uh, they find themselves in a very good situation. They're playing the NFC Championship game at home, and we'll see whether or not 
uh, that they bring the effort that they need to uh, when they go up against the 49ers next week. But all in all, uh, I think the Eagles are in a great place here. I think they're trending in the right direction, and honestly, they need to be. Uh, This was a statement game as far as I'm concerned, and they earned this win. This was just a great win as far as I see it from then, and we'll see whether or not it can transition into the NFC Championship game next week. So that's all I got to say. I mean, for Eagles fans, I will make one final point. This date, five years ago, to the T, obviously this being yesterday, the 21st, because right now we're recording, it's the 22nd. They beat the Vikings to go to the Super Bowl or to the NFC Championship, whichever it was, 38-7 to on the exact mm-hmm. same day. Coincidence, history, fate, whatever you want to call it, it's just very weird how things tend to line up like this when it comes to sports, whether that's a date, a number, a score, whatever it is. I think it's just crazy to me that it fell on the exact same date and it ended up being the exact same score. But anyway, um, this next game is the one that uh, took Kyle and I both for uh, another loop, man. The, the, the divisional round did not disappoint whatsoever. I mean, granted, Kyle and I got some games wrong in terms of predictions, but um, it, it happens. I got one wrong. It was this one. I said some. I said some. I didn't say all. I got two wrong. It's okay. It happens. I I had three wrong for the divisional round last week. So the wild card. Yeah. Yeah. I was batting fifty percent. It wasn't good. So I'm still, I'm still resentful for the Chargers blowing that twenty-seven nothing lead. Like I'm still resentful to to those dudes. They cost me a pick, but that's not still mad at there. I'm still mad at Tom. You you could have gone six for six. And yep. It was the last game too. So I I, know, I, you get. Feel so, I know you feel some type of way about that. Brady strikes again. That's what I get. But nonetheless, no, we we, we got to dive into this uh, Bengals and Bills game because, dude, I, I don't know how to say it, but I'm gonna do my best at at this. The Bengals beat down the Bills. There's there's really no other way to frame it. I mean, offensively. Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, Samaji P. Ryan, Jamar Chase. I mean, there's a laundry list of guys that I can go through when it comes to the Bengals. They just beat them down. Offensively, they looked amazing. And that was despite the fact that they were playing in snowy conditions, which definitely had an effect with just overall footing on the field. But when it came to their effectiveness, offensively, didn't slow them down a bit. And then defensively, they locked up Josh Allen and the Bills holding the Bills to 10 points on the road and just putting Buffalo just really kind of like in a down, just putting them down for a down day as far as I see it, just across the board. It was just one of those games where obviously we expected a much more competitive game, but this was just a completely one-sided affair in favor of the Bengals. And the Bengals, look, they were one of the best teams in the second half of the year. Uh, they really came into this playoff stretch on a heater and it really has just continued with them advancing to the ASU championship game. So Kev, to kick this one to you, how impressive were the Bengals with just essentially dismantling the bills on the road and now setting them up with another date with the chiefs in the AFC championship game. This is what I get for doubting Joseph. You don't pick against your boy. You don't pick against your favorite player. When it comes to gambling, it's a whole different concept, but I am very upset that I made the decision that I did. And Joe Burrow proved it yet again. It's like he said, you guys better have refunds on those plane tickets for that neutral site because 
Cincinnati is going to be facing Kansas City yet again. I mean, Buffalo, just to kind of pivot here, Buffalo looked bad. Um, offense was out of out of rhythm. Cincinnati was in the backfield. They hit Josh Allen, I believe, eight or nine times. He may have only been sacked once, but he just looked bad. I mean, 25 of 42, Josh Allen had an interception, and he just could not find his receivers. I mean, Stephon Diggs was visibly upset on the sideline. He only had 35 yards. Um, Devin Singletary and and obviously James Cook, the, the rushing yards between the team, if you include Josh Allen, they only had 63 as a team, three yards per carry. I just, there is not much you can say other than Buffalo choked. They, they just, they, they had everything. They had home field advantage. They had the snow. They had the fans. They had Josh Allen. It just, they showed that that Miami game really did get to them, and that Miami game showed that they are, in fact, vulnerable and beatable. It just, it's disappointing when you have a season like this and Josh Allen continues to fall short year in and year out. First it was against, um, I think it was the Chiefs back-to-back years, and now it's the uh, now it's the Bengals falling short. It's just, they can't catch a break, man. And it just goes to show Joe Burrow may have only been in the, the league just a few years. But in that short time, aside from the ACL injury, got a Super Bowl appearance, back-to-back AFC Championship appearances. Josh Allen ain't done a whole lot, you know? I mean, he gets all the hype for being a mobile quarterback, having the big arm, you know, the big contract that he got. But outside of that, he he just he ain't doing it for me anymore, man. It's just it's the overhype, the, 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 the bad time turnovers, the miscues. Um, it's... it's the light is shining a little bit too bright, and I don't know if Josh can handle the pressure, where it looks like Joe excels as time progresses. And, I mean, let's just be blunt. This game was one of the line of scrimmage. Cincinnati's offensive line was supposed to get annihilated by Buffalo. Cincinnati's offensive line with two to three backups in, it just it was not posed for it to be a good day for Joe Burrow, at least in the backfield or in the pocket. And it was the complete opposite. They were able to dominate the line of scrimmage. And I mean, they ran for 172 yards. Joe Burrow was only sacked one time. And they found a way to make the weather and uh, make do with the weather and, and just do everything they needed to do. So shout out to the Bengals. They're moving in, moving on to the AFC Championship. They dominated a very, very, very good football team. And as we talked about in the first segment with Pat's injury and the momentum that Cincinnati now carries, it's looking like Cincinnati may have another run to a Super Bowl because... Joe Burrow just does not seem phased in the playoffs. He seems to like the pressure. So we'll see what happens. Kev, this was just a a well-rounded win as far as I can say. In every aspect of the game, the Bengals dominated it. Offensively, like you said, they won this game at the line of scrimmage. And I honestly, I don't think one is a strong enough word. They dominated on the line of scrimmage. And that was despite the fact that there were some major question marks coming into the game about their overall effectiveness with their offensive line. Kev, I don't even think Joe Burrow got hit. I think he was, I think honestly, Sack that jersey, relatively speaking, that's pretty good. Knowing with what yeah. the Bengals were like the last couple of years with him getting sacked five, six, seven, eight times, you know, only one sack. I think they could live with that. I mean, not only that, you, I thought Joe Mixon, Samaji Pirine, they were able to establish great run games, get huge chunk plays. And the Bills just, they just looked like completely out of sorts based off of what the Bengals were presenting offensively. And then defensively, 
the, the Bengals hold the Bills to 10 points on the road going up against a team like Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Dawson Knox, and you could throw Gabe Davis in there too. I mean, they just dominated. There's no other way to frame it. And, you know, this is one of those situations where when we look at what I would consider the AFC supremacy, I think Kevin and I have always looked at it as the Chiefs have probably been in that number one spot for the last couple of years, and deservedly so. Patrick Mahomes is probably the best quarterback in the league. The Chiefs have been to five straight AFC Championship games, and potentially they can go to another Super Bowl, which, honestly, the, the last couple of years, they've gone to multiple ones, so this could potentially be like their third Super Bowl run within like the last four to five years. But now, as far as I see it, I think the Bengals have supplanted the, the Bills, and they've solidified themselves as clearly the team that could literally go toe-to-toe with the Chiefs as being the best team in the AFC. I know last year the Bengals made it to the Super Bowl and while defeating the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game last year on top of that, it's just Kevin and I have always left out a little bit of room for Buffalo just because we did pick them to go to the Super Bowl this year. And from a well-rounded perspective, just as far as the teams are concerned, we thought that the Bills had a little bit of an advantage just because we thought their defense was a little bit better. Joe Burrow went out there and completely exposed that Bills defense. And the Bills defense had no answer. I don't think the Bills walked into this game thinking that Joe Burrow was going to slice and dice this defense, that the run game that the, the Bengals were going to establish would just completely open up run lanes that, frankly, were open all day for the Bengals running backs. And whenever the Bills needed to play defensively to get a stop, Joe Burrow was just ice cold out there, man. He was lethal. He was carving up that Bills defense, especially on third down, and made some critical plays to extend some drives. And then to, you know, even look at the end of the game, got some critical drives uh, that ended up not in just field goals, but touchdowns. And, you know, when you look at the score, 27 to 10, it really kind of felt bigger than that. Like it felt like the margin of victory that they had it really felt like they won by like four touchdowns just with the dominance that they established in this game. And I have to say, this is one of those games where we're going to look back and the Bengals outcoached the Bills in every single way about it. I thought freaking the Bills were just completely overmatched in this game. Uh, they were outcoached. The effort wasn't there. And just the level of execution from the Bills was just non-existent compared to the Bengals in this one. And as far as I see it, the Bengals have all the momentum in the world right now. And I guarantee you this, they smell blood in the water based on the injury that Pat sustained um, when the Chiefs went up against the Jaguars this past weekend. And I guarantee you this, the Bengals are going to be in a situation where it's like, we think that we could go back to another Super Bowl. Like, we legitimately think that we got this. And I think they had the requisite pieces to do it. Their offense has been nonstop the last couple of weeks. Their defense is playing up to snuff. And honestly, I, I, I'd i be hard-pressed to go up against the Bengals right now if I were any other NFL team. They look really good right now. Uh, they beat a great team in the Bills. And in the manner that they did it, that's quite impressive. And we'll see whether or not that that can continue going to the AFC Championship game. All in all. A fantastic performance from the Bengals and something that, quite frankly, I did not see coming. But I'm excited 
to see where this goes from here. And knowing what Joe Burrow and the Bengals have done in the past could be Super Bowl aspirations on the line. And that's just how I see it. I mean, obviously, game aside, this is the part I want to get into. As a Joe Burrow fan, as somebody who appreciates what he can do on the field and what he has done for this team, Joe Burrow has taken that next step. It is Patrick Mahomes at number one. It is going to be Joe Burrow now at number two or 1B. Josh Allen just can't win when it matters the most. I know that he's been in the league a couple years longer than Joe. I know that statistically he is better. But when it comes to when it matters more, when it counts the most, Joe doesn't crumble. Joe doesn't fold. He actually welcomes adversity. He likes the challenge. I'm not saying that Josh doesn't, but it just looks like Josh can't do it. Josh has had a multitude of opportunities to get to at least the AFC Championship or a Super Bowl, for that matter, and he hasn't been able to get past a certain point. It's like he's capped off. Joe has gotten better every single season. I mean, his first year, he tore his ACL. He comes back, leads the Bengals to a Super Bowl, and he doesn't just stop. It wasn't a fluke. It wasn't like a, well, you know what? They made it. They lost in the wild card. They lost in the division. No, they're going back to the AFC Championship. And who are they playing? Oh, the guys that they beat three times in a row. The only person that has Patrick Mahomes' number. The only person that seems to go toe-to-toe with him in actual true rivalry settings. Yes, the Chiefs and the the Bills had an incredible 13 seconds left game last year in the divisional round, and they went shot for shot. It was Allen versus Mahomes. The offenses, it was amazing, right? Didn't matter because it was a divisional round. It wasn't the AFC Championship, and Patrick Mahomes ends up facing Joe Burrow instead of Josh Allen. It's the seeding. It happens. You can't control that. I just think when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, Joe Burrow is that guy. And I would even say that as of late, he's better than Pat. He's beaten Pat three times, one postseason, two regular season. It matters, it counts, and he plays very well against the Chiefs. I'm just saying, if he beats Patrick Mahomes again, I forgot what announcer was talking, what caster was talking. I think it was maybe even Tony Romo. If they beat the Chiefs, you can no longer say the Chiefs are the number one team in the AFC. They may get the home field advantage. They may have the one seed. Joseph fucking Burrow will have gone to Arrowhead two times in a row with a trip to the Super Bowl on the line. Again, if they win, and he will have beaten Patrick Mahomes on his home, on his home field. You, cannot, you can no longer say in the tier steps, levels in the AFC, that it is Chiefs-Bengals or Chiefs-Bills, it is now going to be Cincinnati at the top, regardless of seating. You just, you can't, you cannot argue against it. The, the statistic that matters the most are W's. If you're beating Pat, what, what, what more do you want? You, you have to win a Super Bowl now so you can officially tie him to say, hey, I've been in the league less, got the same amount of Super Bowl appearances as you. Hopefully, if they were to go, they would win. So you would say, well, I have a ring too. Am I better than Pat? Like all I need is an MVP now. Technically, if he were to win Super Bowl MVP, all I'm saying is the narrative is there. The door is starting to open more and more and more as the years progress. And Joe Burrow is elevating himself into being a top three, and it ain't three, quarterback in the NFL. Kev, I I totally understand where you're coming from. And to be quite honest with you, I think this game kind of sealed it for me when it comes to the Bengals clearly being one of the best teams in the AFC. And as far as I see it, like I know we picked the bills uh, to win the Super Bowl this year. And that was our pick, 
But based off of this result and the resounding result, mind you, that we saw from this game, I can no longer say that the Bills are like that number two team in the AFC. It is clearly the Bengals. I still give the edge to the Chiefs just because they've established a run that's just been a little bit longer than the Bengals, yeah. and they actually have the hardware to prove it. So right. until the Bengals reach that point, I can't put them above the Chiefs yet until they win a Super Bowl. If they eclipse that, then I think we have a much more well-defined argument. But they're clearly number two in the AFC. I can no longer put the Bills at number two. And, you know, when you look at the when you look at the recent pass that the Bengals and the Bills have taken, the Bengals have just shown more dominance. They made it to a Super Bowl. They, you know, despite what I may think of the Bills having a more well-rounded team, in my opinion, I can't say that anymore. When the Bengals have been in situations with, you know, major implications on the line, they have stepped up time and time again. And the only time that they didn't, they fell a little bit short, was in last year's Super Bowl. Albeit it was a competitive game, they just fell a little bit short. But as far as I see it, when it comes to Joe Burrow, I, Joe Burrow has definitely uh, supplanted a Josh Allen as the second best quarterback in the AFC. And Kev, I mean, I don't want to drive this out too much longer. You know, depending on what happens in this AFC championship game uh, between Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow, if Joe goes out there, and he plays like he did against the Bills this past weekend and continues to do that against the Chiefs. Then I think we have a we have a real possibility of you know making an argument that maybe Joe is slightly ahead of Patrick. The the only thing that I have to kind of add as a caveat with this upcoming game between Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes with the Bengals and the Chiefs going at it uh this upcoming Sunday is that Pat is hurt. You know, obviously he has that high ankle sprain. And I think that's definitely going to have a major impact with that game as we get closer to it. But I mean, even putting that game to the side, if you just look at recent history, it does favor Joe. The Bengals went on the road last year into Arrowhead and beat Patrick Mahomes and KC to advance to the Super Bowl. The Chiefs kind of choked in that second half of the AFC Championship game last year. And the Chiefs had a chance to get revenge this past regular season. And granted, they had to go on the road to Cincinnati to do it, but they fell short. Joe Burrow made the plays that needed to be made, especially in the fourth quarter, to give the Bengals the win and to essentially keep themselves one step ahead of the Chiefs. So in the head-to-head matchup, I do believe that Joe Burrow is better than Patrick Mahomes because honestly, history just kind of shows that. But the totality of what both Joe and Patrick have done, Patrick has the edge. That's just, there's no other way to say it. Patrick has the hardware. He has MVPs. He's been the league leader in passing yards. And honestly, he's revolutionizing He's revolutionizing the quarterback position, unlike really anybody we've seen before him. I mean, the dude's a magician back there. But as far as I see when it comes to head-to-head matchup, Joe is better than Patrick. And I think he's got another chance to extend that narrative even more so if the Bengals were to win next week in Arrowhead and advance to another Super Bowl in back-to-back years. That would be quite impressive. And we'll see what happens uh, in that AFC Championship game. Hopefully, Pat can go, and hopefully he plays pretty well despite that 
high ankle, uh, that high ankle sprain. But all in all, I think this is just going to be a fun quarterback matchup that we're going to see for the foreseeable future. Hopefully we see this really blossom into something that will last 10 to 15 years, kind of similar to what we saw with Brady and Manning. So all in all, these are two great quarterbacks, but Joe's definitely catching ground on Pat. There's no other way to say it. He's on his heels, man. All any all he's a Super Bowl title away from being right there. So we'll yeah. we'll we'll kinda of, we'll kinda of leave it at that. Mm-hmm. And move into this next one, man. This uh this game is kinda of like just <laughs> uh, what 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 would you use to describe this game? Because I I'm I'm struggling to find words because it's just so funny. Um it depends on the perspective. From the Cowboys, the one word that kind of comes to mind is typical. Typical choke job. It's pretty much what comes to mind when it when it comes to describing the Cowboys in this game. Uh, for the 49ers, momentum. Momentum just keeps on building. Um, yeah, but honestly, I have a little bit more fun with the Cowboys segment. Like I have I have a lot more fun with them because was it 27 years now? 28 one, one of those two years man it doesn't matter we're talking about almost 30 years of just ineptitude incompetence mediocrity in the moment like it just continues kept give me the floor on this one all right well uh, Kyle Dallas fails chokes once more San Francisco moves on to their 12th game in a row advancing to move on to the NFC championship for the third time in four years. I mean, what are your thoughts on this game, man? I mean, it, it, it ended up being a defensive battle, which is something like you said before. It, it's something we didn't expect. So what are, you, what are your thoughts overall on how this game kind of transpired? Uh, this was a defensive battle. There's no other way to say it. I was definitely expecting uh, more fireworks offensively from both teams. That just didn't happen. But the 49ers, uh, they made the plays that needed to be made, and they executed just at a little bit of a higher level than the Cowboys did. Uh, when I look at the offense for the 49ers, granted, this was not their best performance. They only put up 19 points on the board. But uh, to me, they stepped up when they needed it the most. They got a touchdown in the fourth quarter that kind of opened up their lead late in the game, and they definitely needed that. And I have to say, you know, with Brock not having the best game statistically, you know, last week I thought Brock lit it up for the 49ers. This was one of those games where he managed the game effectively by not turning the ball over. It's me that was absolutely critical in this game because this game went from what we expected to be kind of more of like a high scoring game, not necessarily a shootout, but higher scoring than what we saw transpire in this game to this is kind of a, a gritty game. Both defenses are playing up to snuff and whoever is making the more critical mistakes at the worst times probably going to lose this game. That happened to be Dallas in this case with Dak Prescott making those untimely errors and Brock Purdy not making those. So even though that Brock didn't have a touchdown, didn't light up Dallas's defense, he didn't do anything to squander the game for the 49ers, and that was huge because this is one of those games where the 49ers defense was the one that was the primary factor behind the 49ers advancing to the NFC Championship game. When you limit Dallas's offense to 12 points, that's sensational. Granted, they gave up the one touchdown early, 
But after that, they essentially locked it down by holding Dallas to two field goals for the rest of the game. And I know Dallas has had an up and down year offensively, but as far as I see it, Dallas's offense is still something to contend with. And the fact that they were able to get multiple turnovers against them in this game was absolutely critical for that 49ers offense. It kind of put them in a better position to be able to put points on the board, even though the points kind of came at a premium in this game. And it was enough for them to prevail and move on to the NFC Championship game. Now, let me kick it to Dallas. Dallas squanders it again. They had ample opportunities to win this game. And as far as I see it, Dak Prescott pretty much lost them this game. The inopportune interceptions at the wrong times. You just can't have those timely. You can't have those untimely errors. And in a game where, you know, points are coming at a premium, like I already said, you just cannot make those errors. And maybe it's just the curse of Dallas. Maybe it's just Dallas's MO at this point. They just find a way to lose games at the worst times. And they haven't made an NFC Championship game in over 30 years. It's just, it's unbelievable that when the Cowboys are presented a situation where they can potentially be one step away from almost going to a Super Bowl, you know, to make it to an NFC Championship game and then to possibly make it to a Super Bowl, they just can't get over the hump. And that's just their thing. And honestly, at this point, it's comical. I mean, I'm 27 years old. And I think the last time that they made an NFC Championship game, I think I was one month away from being born or two months away, depending on the date. And, you know, Dallas is a good team. But when it comes to the playoffs, they find a way to choke. And it's just kind of expected. It's just Dallas is going to be one of those teams, no matter how you look at it, they can generate so much hype and so much excitement throughout the year. But when it comes to this point in the divisional round of the playoffs, they will fall short, and they did it again, just like last year. And it was kind of eerie how this year's divisional round essentially played out like last year's. They just couldn't make the plays that needed to be made. They fall short. And I know there's a lot more detail uh, that I could go on about this game, but I'm going to just leave you with this. Dallas is going home, and honestly, I think they rightly deserve it based off of the turnovers that they had, the mistakes that they made. And with the 49ers, the 49ers are probably the best team in the playoffs right now. Obviously, that, that's an arguable point. You could say that the Eagles are based off of what they did to the Giants. But I'd be hard-pressed with the 49ers right now. With that defense and with Brock Purdy leading the way offensively with a coach like Kyle Shanahan on the sidelines, that's a tough team to, that's a tough team to bet against as far as I see it. So, okay, the floor is yours. I'll let you take it from here. Dude. I got, I, just, I have to laugh. As somebody who cheers for the Eagles, it's it's a little bit of a deeper laugh. So like, ha 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 ha. Um, it's just it's funny, man. People tried to make the argument that Dak Prescott was a top five quarterback in the league, top ten, depending on who you asked. I mean, it really didn't make a difference. But neither of those were correct. He's got seventeen or eighteen interceptions in his last twelve or thirteen games, tied with freaking Davis Mills for most in the regular season at fifteen. I mean, what are we talking about? Oh, their offense was incredible the second he got back. Oh, their record is 12-5 and five to end the regular season. Yeah, so no MVPs, 
no Super Bowl appearances, no NFC Championship appearances, no meaningful playoff wins. We just beat the Buccaneers. We beat the greatest quarterback of all time last week. We are hot. Five total touchdowns, blah, 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 blah. All these narratives, right? All these things. And yet here we are again. Same situation as last year. Same team to send you packing. Clock management was abysmal. Dalton Schultz is 100% going to get reamed in his exit interview or exit cleaning out his locker. His tight end, co- his tight ends coach, offensive coordinator, as well as Mike McCarthy need to sit there and rip him, rip him a new one for that final drive where it seemed to just be a lack of effort in that last few minutes because he had two or three receptions to where he was very lazy. And by lazy, I mean he wasn't putting any effort to make some concrete plays happen. So he caught a ball on that final drive from Dak Prescott. He ends up getting hit without fighting for additional yardage or fighting to move forward. He allows himself to get hit in which he takes backward steps and then goes out of bounds. What I'm getting at here is in the NFL, in order for the clock to stop, you need to be moving forward and run out of bounds. You cannot absorb contact, let yourself take two or three steps backwards in bounds, and then go out. The clock continues to run. It looked like he caught the ball, just kind of let it happen, didn't really give a shit, right? On to the next play. He gets a ball. What was it, Kyle? Like 20 yards downfield, catches it at around the 40, 45-yard line, and he puts no effort into getting his second foot down. It looked like he kind of just... Caught it, put a foot down, and just like, yeah, I'm done. It's over. He did. He didn't try to emphasize. Usually, people try to tap their feet. It's usually called a toe tap, uh, just to make sure that they're inbound. It looked like he didn't really care, and he just let it kind of happen. So Dalton Schultz, 100%, is at least partially at fault to an extent, but I definitely can't blame this, blame this Dallas defense. Micah Parsons out here throwing offensive linemen. Demarcus Lawrence is out here just moving men. Ways that I've never seen possible, and they found a way to, like Kyle said, contain Brock Purdy and this offense to an extent to where they were kicking field goals most of the night. I think Robbie Gold had four or five field goals in this game, so this definitely was not because of Dallas's defense and their um, inability to get stops. This was the offense sucking. Tony Pollard leaves the game unfortunately with an injury. Ezekiel Elliott wasn't able to get into a rhythm. Dak Prescott almost had three interceptions instead had two. It just kind of goes down over and over and over into the same list of, yay, Dallas did good in the regular season. Yay, Dallas has double-digit wins for the 150th year in a row. Who cares? If you're not winning in the season that matters most, which is the postseason, all you accomplish in the regular season is relevant. So there is no surprise here that Dallas choked. It's expected. And to those Dallas fans that try to talk shit because you beat a washed-up Tom Brady or a, a a bad Tampa Tampa team, I, I I just think you're silly, and I think that you don't know what you're talking about when it comes to football. So, um, yeah, Dallas goes home packing yet again, and uh, you know that kind of leads us into our potential next segment, Kyle. So, I mean, I just I got I I gotta ask you before I kind of take charge. Would you agree, based on what you've seen over the course of Dak and Zeke's tenure in Dallas, multiple head coaches? Do you think that it would be time to kind of reset as a whole? Um, I wouldn't give up entirely yet on those on like that core group. Uh, I know this though. There's going to be some coaching changes in that personnel group for, for sure. That's definitely going to happen because I know, uh, Kellen Moore, uh, their offensive coordinator 
and Dan Quinn, their defensive coordinator, they're potentially looking at head coaching jobs if they become available. I, I know they've been kind of looking at uh, some open opportunities um, that are out there in the NFL right there right now. But even though that the Cowboys have had this, what I would consider a bad streak of just not succeeding in the playoffs. I, I don't know what their alternative is. If their alternative is, it's just, okay, we're going to let, you know, Cooper rush take over and let him carry us to the promised land. I don't know if it's going to get them any farther. And I will say, you know, with them specifically, I think, I still think that gives you the best chance to win, but how far is he going to get you? And at this point, it's been NFC divisional round, and that's pretty much it. And in back-to-back years, they made it to the same exact spot against the same exact team, and they fell short. Obviously, last year's was a little bit crazy because they literally ran out of time because of bad clock management. And even in this scenario, you could say that clock management was bad once again. And this is really the point that I, I want to bring up. It's I think a lot of people focus on the coaching staff as being the the main issue. And, and Jerry Jones to a larger extent because he's been running the team and Dallas has been inept at making a Super Bowl in the last 30 years. I'm not talking about that. At some point, you have to see what you have with your players. The players have to be able to execute. And going into the week, game plan could be perfect. But at the end of the day, the players gotta go got to go out there and execute. And unfortunately for them, they just fall short time and time again. And I know a lot of Cowboys fans are probably going to be looking at Mike McCarthy as a scapegoat. And to be fair, there's fair criticism for, for Mike McCarthy. I'm not saying that he's perfect here. But at some point, the players got to hold themselves accountable. They fell short. They didn't execute. Dak Prescott had two interceptions in this game. There were ample opportunities for Dallas to be able to move into position to not only score field goals, but score touchdowns because scoring field goals at this point, is kind of, it's kind of a luxury for them with, with freaking Maher out there missing kicks left and right. But no, when it comes to Dallas, Dallas is very predictable. When we get to the stage of the year, they will find a way to screw things up. And that is just their MO. And it could be bad coaching. It could be Jerry Jones. But to me, at the end of the day, it is the players going out there and not executing at the highest level possible. Dak Prescott with the interceptions. You had freaking Dalton Schultz being nonchalant on this. We're, we're talking about the most critical drive of the game. And Dalton Schultz is being nonchalant in his effort. You cannot have that. That's not on coaching. That's on the players. So to me, you know, you could look at all these different scapegoats and, and all that, but to me, at the end of the day, I, I I put a little bit more emphasis on the players just because they have to go out there and, and make the plays that need to be made. But it's a it's a group effort. And as far as I see it, it was a group failure. And until Dallas reaches a point where they just stop making these miscues in the most important elements of the game, they are never going to get to a Super Bowl. It's not going to happen. It doesn't matter if you have Dak Prescott back there. It doesn't matter if you have somebody who's a high caliber quarterback or you have like a high caliber defense. They just find a way to make the wrong plays at the wrong time at a cost. Them. And in this game, it happened once again. And this was a winnable game for them. 
you can't tell me that this was not a winnable game for them. They had, Defense they had a showed chance up big time. You hold that 49ers offense to 19 points on the road. That's a winnable game. I guarantee you Dan Quinn would have been like, oh, that's a game that we can win. Only 19 points? Oh, we could definitely go out there and win. The offense scored 12 points. What else is there left to say? The Cowboys got to execute, man. The Cowboys just do what they do best, and they screw up at the worst time. And it's just funny at this point. You you honestly have to laugh about it because it's like, how long is this going to go? Because at this point, I, I know that there are teams that haven't won a Super Bowl. There are many teams out there that haven't gotten to that point. But the fact that the Cowboys are one of those teams that are like on the precipice, and yet they just find new ways to not get there, it's kind of hysterical. Because they, it doesn't really matter who's in the position. At the end of the day, they just fall short. I thought last year's was a little bit more comical. Uh, just because, well, yeah. uh, because of the backlog management. This was just a defensive battle, and they just couldn't make the plays that needed to be made. But no, I Kev, I, I, I kind of rambled there for a little bit. But No, you're um, fine. I mean, we don't have to pan this to me. I mean, I'm, I'm only making people think about this because everybody always fails to realize this is also a business, right? You gave Dak money. You gave Zeke money. Now, coming up, CD is entering the final year of his rookie deal. You're going to have to pay him. He's the best receiver you've had since Des Bryant. There's no question here, right? Trayvon Diggs, he's going to be due up for a contract next year. One of the best corners in football. Defensive player of the year last year. He was able to maybe lessen his turnover numbers in terms of how many he's gotten, but he got better statistically in terms of yards per catch, pass deflected. People didn't even want to throw to his side because he developed as a real corner. He took, a, he took a next step, right? So he's going he's gonna to get a solid payday. Mm-hmm. In two, three years, Micah Parsons is going to be due up. You see where I'm going with this? Yep. You are going to have to pay a lot of people on this roster a lot of money. And by mm-hmm. the time all of this expires, because your championship window closes every single season, your quarterback gets older. Dak is consistent for one thing and one thing only. Injuries and not performing in the postseason. Point blank period. Tony Pollard. Him and him and Ezekiel Elliott had a good thing going this year. Tony's gone. There's no unless you pay Tony Pollard, he's gonna go start somewhere else or go get a, a good amount of money on a team that's actually gonna utilize him because he outperformed Ezekiel Elliott in every facet of the way this season. He scraped a thousand yards, and that's only because Zeke took a lot of the touches Tony Pollard rightfully deserved. Then you also have to think about Dalton Schultz, one of the better tight ends you've had, at least outside of today, in terms of consistency. He's going to get a, a solid payday. Offensive linemen are going to be due up, and so on, and so on, and so on. Dallas is going to have to pay out a lot of money and shell out a lot of funds for a lot of players that they may not be able to afford. Now, whether or not you dump some of those assets off, you try to find a trade partner for Zeke, maybe you try to get off of Zach's con- uh, Dak's contract, maybe you kind of work around franchise tagging some players. I don't know. Jerry Jones has got a lot to deal with. Jerry Jones has got to worry about his head coaching, personnel, getting free agents, re-signing specific personnel, because outside of Gallup and, and CeeDee Lamb, they don't really have anybody. I mean, T.Y. Hilton had a couple of good catches as you know he progressed in his tenure in Dallas, but he's not going to be a definitive number three for you. So what, what are you going to do? If, if you're Jerry Jones, how do you handle all these narratives? And you know how Jerry is. Fired, I'll go get somebody else. Fired, I'm going to get somebody else. That doesn't even include... 
if you lose Dan Quinn this offseason, if you lose Kellen Moore, at that point you restaff the whole coaching staff and you start restructuring the roster. You build up in the draft and you see what happens. They have too many looming question marks is all I want people to understand to look past this season. This was supposed to be your year. Jalen got hurt. You were supposed to take advantage. Went out. You lose to Washington. You can't. You you, you beat Tampa. You you over you overachieve, and then you struggle against San Francisco, and your offense completely shits the bed. Repet, repetitive natures, and it just looks like at the end of the day, Dallas is either going to be well over the luxury cap one day to perform in the wild card, or you reset and you build around somebody else. Because I don't know what you're supposed to do if you're Dallas. I'm not going in the luxury tax to lose in the divisional. They're not even making the championship round. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I mean, look, Dak is going to be, I think, 30 going into next year, or he's going to, like, turn, like, I think he's 29 right now. So I think he'll be 30 um, either during next season or after next season is over with. But, you know, at, at this point, with all the coaching staff changes that are going to be more than likely taking place this offseason, are the Cowboys going to be as functional as they were this year? And granted, I got to give Dallas credit in, in this sense. You know, Dallas wasn't even really expected to be here after Dak went down week one. And then you had Cooper Rush fill in, and he played really well, and the defense played really well on top of that too. But but my thing is, if, if Dan Quinn leaves Dallas and finds a head coaching job somewhere, I can guarantee you this. That defense next year is going to take a massive hit. Because I will say that defense put themselves in a position to win them that game against the 49ers. You can't say that they didn't. You only give up 19 points. Man, I, I guarantee you those defensive guys are probably pissed. Because how else are they supposed to feel? The offense went out there and scored 12 points. Granted, I know San Fran has a really good defense, but 12 points is it's not cutting it, bro. It's just it's, it's, not, it's not a good look. That's, like I said, yeah. it's just Dallas I want just, people to think. That's all. They, they do what they do best, bro. When the moment is there for them to take it, when their opportunity is there in the playoffs, they will fall short every single time. That's why you got Skip Bayless out here throwing Dak jerseys in the trash because apparently he's done with them. I was watching a, Hilarious. Vi- a video of him while, while you were uh, going through your analysis. And he's like, yeah, I'm done with Dak. And and he's actually kind of like of the mindset that Cooper Rush could have won them that game. Oh, my God. I'm not even going to waste my time on our platform to give him any shine because he says the dumbest shit and Just it goes same. viral. So, he, no. He, l- l- listen, Cowboy fans are going through it right now. It's a yearly thing. This shouldn't be, this shouldn't be unexpected. I mean, no. Kev. I, I mean, I, I, what do the Yankees always do every year to you? They break my heart. It's it's and, fine. And, and and the Cowboys, I, I, honestly, I think the Cowboys even do it better for for their own fans. They do because it's been almost thirty years strong doing it to them. So that's true. It is but, what it know, is in, in that regard. Obviously, obviously, you know, we got we got one topic to talk about left. And we're going to flip gears, and it's not really going to necessarily be focused on a, a sports team. It was Kinda. at a sports team. It, 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 it was at a game that revolved two teams, but it's about one TV personality. Ironically, we just talked about his partner in Skip Bayless, but 
Shannon Sharp was seen this past weekend basically riling up the Memphis Grizzlies as they played the Los Angeles Lakers, and it looked to be pissing off Stephen Adams, Dylan Brooks, John ja Morant, and John ja Morant's father, in which then he was escorted to the locker room and then allowed back. So, Kyla, I'm just going to ask you, based on what Shannon has said this season and years in the past about fans acting over-entitled, spoiled, what are your thoughts on Shannon acting up this weekend? Well, I mean, it kind of depends on how you look at it. If you're just looking at it from what Twitter is saying, Twitter is going to say that this was just comedy. And honestly, I think Twitter is actually coming in the, the defense of Shannon Sharp. I mean, for God's sakes, people have been screenshotting the picture that Shannon was wearing, like this blue sweater uh, at that game. And they've been putting like as that as an album cover. And then they've been listing it as an album with just like nine or 10 tracks based off of that one picture uh, at that game. It's just, that's just Twitter for you. Now, when it comes to what actually happened on the court, Kev, I, I want to put this in perspective here. Had this been somebody else, had this just been regular, anybody could have just been just a regular fan that had bought those courtside seats and they had done something like this where there's an altercation between the fan themselves and members of the opposing team where there's actually a stop in play. I guarantee you this. More than likely, not only would that person be escorted out of the building, there's a very good chance that that person is, A, going to be suspended for coming to Laker games for the foreseeable future. And depending on how severe, it could get to the point where that fan could receive a lifetime ban because we actually have seen that before where fans get riled up, uh, they get really feisty, and if they really start chirping and they cause a disruption of the game. It's, it's not uncommon to hear fans getting lifetime bans in certain arenas. Now, when it comes to Shannon, Shannon has said it in the past on his own show with Undisputed that he, he's come out in the past and criticized, fan, criticized fans for essentially acting like fools when things get chippy between the fans and, and players. And he's actually been in favor of fans essentially getting tossed from the game and even receiving bans because of their behavior. And, okay, we have a prime example of Shannon Sharp essentially causing a disturbance during the middle of the game, and yet he's allowed back on the court essentially just a few minutes later after a fracas that, frankly, he kind of instigated. Now, depending on which story you hear, because, oh, some people will say that it wasn't him that started it. It was Dylan Brooks. And then it just kind of devolved from there. I'm like, at the end of the day, Shannon Sharp was on the sideline chirping up a storm. And last time I checked, Shannon's like in his mid-50s. And I typically don't see 50-year-old men unless like they literally have like no life. And like their life is kind of falling apart at the seams. And the best enjoyment they get is like literally chastising a player on the court. Shannon is like a Hall of Fame tight end. Like he's a co-host on his own show. Like, like I, th I thought like, you know, you're supposed to like carry yourself with a little bit more grace when you've actually come out in the past and you criticized fans for being unruly and being in a misbehavior type of scenario. So as far as I see it, you know, 
I'm not going to go as far to say that Shannon should receive a lifetime ban from the Staples Center because of what happened, but had this been anybody else, it might have been that type of result. So there is kind of a double standard there, if you know what I mean. But no, I mean, it's just one of those scenarios where things got feisty, things got out of control, and, you know, the, Gri- the Grizzlies players stepped up for their teammates. And I and I will say this, you know, I know Shannon Sharp is is a big dude. I mean, he's like 6'4", 6'5". I mean, even though that he's, is, he's in his mid-50s, he keeps himself in great shape. But going up against someone like Steven Adams, Steven Adams is like 7'2". I don't know if Shannon would be ready for that because that's a mismatch right there. But I, I know Shannon with just his overall mentality, like, you know, putting in the right scenario. It'd be kind of interesting to see where that would go. But as far as I see it, you know, when it comes to the whole Shannon Grizzlies fiasco that took place at the Staples Center the other day, it, it should have never gotten to that point. I mean, it, it's obvious, um, but it's just one of those things where had this been somebody else, more than likely they would have been suspended or banned from the arena. But with Shannon, you got away with it. So I'm basically just rounded out with this. It's a double standard, and it's just that simple. I think it's hypocritical. I think it kind of pisses me off to a certain extent. I'm all for fans getting involved. I'm all for celebrities being in the game. I'm all for the friendly chirping. You know, we all know that Spike Lee, Kevin Hart, a bunch of celebrities are always just talking to NBA players kind of as the games progress. A little bit of smack talk here and there, especially if they know each other on it. Oh, excuse me, off the court. And uh, there's no problem with that. But whether or not you blame this to being caught in the moment, had a little bit of liquor in me. I mean, it just Shannon has gone on multiple segments where fans heckling players, aka his butt buddy LeBron. Um, oh, you need to show some respect. Oh, you need to be ejected. Oh, there needs to be a problem. Or there needs to be a fine for fans. Like he's always just kind of like jumping in the defense of the players, which is fine because he's right. There should be a limit to what should be said at that level to where an NBA player, an athlete, an NFL player, whatever should have the right to react, whether it be with words or getting them tossed. It it should not make a difference. But when you go and, like Kyle said, you cause a stoppage in the game, whether it's the media timeout, an on-the-court timeout, actual live play, whatever the case was in that situation, you are causing an uproar, a distraction, and a scene for no reason. Dylan Brooks could have literally said, I slept with your mom, I'm your dad. Like, the worst of the worst of the worst comments in the world. Shannon Sharp should not have gotten up, stepped onto the hardwood, and basically called him over to him to egg him on, to which led, obviously, Stephen Adams, John Moran's dad, and all this stuff to kind of transpire. This is a bad look for Shannon Sharp. He is the freaking most annoying person when it comes to defending LeBron James in every facet of the word heckling fans, trash-talking him, da-da-da-da-da, hard fouls, all this shit, right? And the second you go out there, you act up. Yeah, you go to a lot of Laker games because you and Braun are cool. Yeah, you're a Hall of Fame tight end from the NFL. Yeah, you're a pretty big dude. That doesn't give you the right because you have the avail- the availability and the, I guess, the pull to act up like that that you should. And I agree with Kyle completely. If it wasn't for the fact that he was Shannon Sharp, he would have been tossed and probably banned from Crypto Arena for the rest of his life. And quite frankly, I think he should be kept from there for at least a couple of months, if not a couple of years. That was just unnecessary. It was disrespectful. And I thought that it was very tasteless, especially for someone that is so 
heavily and outspoken about fans needing to be more uh, appropriate and disciplined. Just because you spend money doesn't mean that gives you the right to talk shit or get disrespectful. So yeah, Shannon Sharp left a, a bad taste in my mouth this weekend when I saw that. Obviously, I thought it was funny in the moment, but like when when you make points like Kyle did, and you know if that was me, or if that was Kyle, if that was any other athlete, or if that was any other celebrity, it would have been a whole Megillah. But because it's Shannon, because he's cool with Braun, he was even able to come back to his seat without issues. He hugged out John Moran's dad. They you know they talked it out. They apologized or whatever. Doesn't matter. It got to a point where they shouldn't have, and that is a hundred percent to an extent on Shannon Sharp. And I think that's pretty, pretty bad. Yeah, it's just, you know, I just, I kind of round back to this one point, had it been anybody else, just regular Joe Schmo, more than likely they're, they're getting tossed out of the arena with definitely some sort of suspension from not going to any events at the arena. I can guarantee you that. A lifetime ban, I think a lifetime ban, like had this just been a regular somebody would have definitely been in the cards. We have seen that in the past. And hell, even some of the players have advocated for lifetime ban of fans. And the lifetime bans that they would advocate for for the offense that the the fan may have done to them was, it pales in comparison to what Shannon just did. Shannon actually stopped a stoppage in the game. Where... And was on the court. Yeah, where the attention and the security had to pull him back from not only the players, but John Morant's father. And, I mean, as far as I see it, you know, Twitter can have it, it, its opinion on anything. And, and honestly, the way that Twitter's been acting in the last couple of days in regards to this, they've been defending Shannon. Obviously, some of it has been humorous, especially with the, the one album cover meme that's been kind of going around with Shannon. But, no, just, just as like a general rule, like, Shannon's like in his mid fifties and he's acting like someone like I would, or somebody a little bit younger than me, had they gotten courtside seats acting a fool. Like it just kind of comes with it's the territory. A bad look. It's a bad look. And I, I, I just, I can't get this thought out of my head. Had this been anybody else guarantee you suspension from the arena, not allowed to any Laker games anytime soon and possibly a lifetime ban. And, I guess, you know, that's what happens when you have a little bit of celebrity privilege that, that just kind of goes along with it. Yeah, you have a little bit of pull. Is, and, 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 I, and and look, LeBron, LeBron defended him after. Of course he did. So, and I think that's just kind of comes with the territory. You know, Shannon's been defending LeBron for as long as I can remember. And I guess LeBron's probably going to pay it back. So, you know, if you're on the sideline, if you have courtside seats, I mean, you know, you could chirp. Like, you know, when it comes to just regular, like, if you're just John with the players, uh, uh, as That's different, that that, that just kind of comes with the territory. Friend, friendly banter is normal for celebrities and 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 players. It it, it happens every yeah, game. It's when you the, cross a line, and it gets it, bad. And, and there have been fans that have crossed the line, and, and it's gotten bad. You know where you know sometimes you know fans do have to be removed, especially if alcohol is in play. And typically, oh, when yeah. alcohol is in play, then it kind of devolves into a its own issues but no with this this is a bad look for shannon i know twitter's trying to spin it to the point where they're trying to, to defend shannon from this but no had this been me like had i conducted myself in that manner looking back at it i'd be like nah i could have been better than that that's no way to handle myself had that been me in that situation but 
it is what it is. Shan's going to be back at Lakers game. So I don't think it's going to be a big issue for him anytime soon. But had it been somebody else, probably a different situation. So just leave it at that. But uh, that, that about wraps it up for the episode, guys. Um, you know, obviously the NFC and AFC championships are set for next Sunday with a trip to the Super Bowl on the line. The NBA season continues to get closer to All-Star Weekend. And, uh, you know, we're just going to continue to keep you guys updated with everything that transpires. I believe I believe we are just shy of three weeks from pitchers and catchers reporting. Mm-hmm. So baseball season is looming on the horizon. And, uh, you know, uh, continued content narratives are going to just continue to spin as we uh, as we get this going. But that about wraps it up for me, guys. Other than, you know, of course, thanking you guys for, you know, all the uh, support, audio, YouTube, social media, wherever you guys come through. We really appreciate it. And uh, Kyle, I mean, that's all I got, man. You can close us out. Yeah, just like what Kevin said, uh, we definitely appreciate you guys uh, tuning in, whether it was you guys listening on the audio platforms or watching us on YouTube. We definitely appreciate the support. Um, We are coming up on, obviously, the conference championship games in the NFL, AFC, NFC. Uh, So definitely expect that when we come back on Friday that we do a deep dive into both of those games. Um, It's going to be interesting. We're only a couple weeks away from Super Bowl 57, uh, which is taking place in Glendale this year. So almost getting there kev very very close so uh you know unfortunately you know that means we are coming to the end of the nfl season so football season it's really kind of like our favorite time of the year but that does give us uh other opportunities to to dive into other sports as well with with nba uh you know nba is running and gunning right now baseball's coming up soon hockey's in mid-season right now so that'll definitely give us some opportunities uh to talk about some different sports and different stories within those sports but as of right now, that's all I got from here, you guys. Once again, thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate the support, as always. And we will see you guys later this week. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Pack podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture.